Good morning, everyone. It's my privilege this morning to bring a message uh, from the Bible as part of our gathered worship. In a few moments, we'll be inviting you to share communion with us from your homes, when we'll remember and give thanks for the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. This morning, I'm going to be looking at the theme of suffering from the experiences of Paul and Peter and from their writings. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we've heard read this morning, and we pray that by your spirit, you'll help us to be fashioned and molded by your word and by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Without doubt, the cross is the most universally recognized symbol in human history. It has endured as the symbol of the Christian faith. Once that instrument of torture has become for us something so precious. When we think about the cross, that place where Jesus died, that place of abandonment has become for us a scene of adoration. That place of suffering has become for us a source of peace. And that place of violence has become for us the battlefield on which love is victorious. The shocking message of Christianity is that the one who suffered, the one who was crucified, is none other than the King of heaven, God the Son, the Saviour of the world, and that through his suffering, salvation has come to this lost and broken world. Now, the subject of suffering is a great challenge to us all, and especially, I think, to us who follow Jesus. None of us goes through life unscathed or unscarred by suffering. We all bear the scars of one kind or another. And we're very aware that some suffer much more and others suffer less. We're also part of a culture like many others past and present that regard happiness, ease and comfort as the highest goals in life and are assumed to be ours by right. And so when suffering comes, it comes as an unwelcome intruder. It comes as an enemy. During the Alpha courses that we've run here at the church, suffering has always been a question that has been raised as an objection to faith in God. I often say to that question that actually for Christians, it's, it's a bigger and a tougher question because we believe that God is good. If you don't believe that there is a God, how do you explain suffering? Where does evil come from? Who is behind evil? Who is behind good? I guess because the world is such a small place in these days, we have news 24 hours a day. We're very aware, more aware of the suffering that happens in our world of wars, of conflicts, of injustice, of oppression, of genocides, evil regimes. Even this week in the past news, we've been reflecting on the injustice of racism in America and the heartbreaking death of George Floyd. 
We've been reminded of a little girl that was abducted many years ago, Madeleine McCann, and developments in that story. And we pray for her safe return. As a church, we're partnered with Open Doors, serving the persecuted church. We're more aware than ever of the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. Worse now than any time in human history, 260 million Christians live under the real threat of severe or or high persecution. One in nine Christians around the world. And we know that our faith in Jesus is not an insurance policy against suffering. It's not like we pay a premium of faith in Christ and we expect to get life cover to protect us from suffering. We know that that's not true. In fact, we can testify often to the opposite, that when we begin to follow Jesus, that faith is tested. And often it's tested the most by suffering. Today, we, like so many in our world right now, are affected by the coronavirus pandemic. The world is shaking. Nations, individuals are facing the consequences to a larger or smaller extent. There is fear, there is grief, uncertainty, anxiety. Just a few months ago, life was normal, but things have changed. And we don't know when things will be the same again. And in these times, where do we turn? To whom do we turn to? Who are we going to trust? Who are we going to believe in? The Bible, all of it, points us to Jesus, our ever-present help, hope, refuge, peace, salvation. The one who does not change who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the view of suffering in the Bible is kind of countercultural. In the big sweep of the Bible, there in the very beginning, when God created, it was all good. There was no evil, no suffering, no pain, no death, no virus, no racism. There was a perfect relationship between God and man, And then right at the end of the Bible, we have this amazing promise that Jesus is coming again. That his kingdom is here, but it's going to come in its fullness when he comes and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And he says he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death, pain, crying, suffering. But the Bible reveals that there was a catastrophic event. It's called the fall. And it caused a dislocation, a rebellion against God as the devil. One of uh, the created angels rebelled against God and was thrown out of heaven. He is the agent of temptation there in the creation narratives of Adam and Eve. Sin entered and as a consequence, suffering came into the world. When we read the New Testament... We see the view of suffering there is countercultural as well. Throughout history, both uh, Greek and Roman and even Jewish culture sees suffering as failure. Yet Paul and Peter both know that it's through suffering and the suffering of Jesus that salvation has come to the world. Both of them were followers of Jesus, the crucified. 
the risen, the ascended, the reigning, the returning Lord Jesus. And when Jesus walked on this earth and he taught, he made it really clear. In John 16, he says, in this world you'll have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' call to those first disciples is to follow him, to believe in him, to be like him. And there was never a promise of an easy, pain-free life. Almost the opposite. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Pick up your cross and follow me. Live for me and you'll find life. Live just for yourself and you will lose it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an amazing Christian, courageous Christian who opposed Hitler and the Nazi regime, paid with his life, famously said, when Jesus calls us, he bids us come and die. And we know that both Paul and Peter gave their lives for Jesus under the Roman persecution. Both were executed, Paul by beheading, Peter by crucifixion. And there in the readings that we had, when Jesus calls both Peter and Paul, at the beginning of their walks with Jesus and the beginning of their ministries, they are reminded that they will end your suffering. In Acts chapter 9, the story of Paul's dramatic conversion, the, probably the biggest transformation ever, he is told by another believer, Ananias, that he will be shown how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. Peter, when he is reinstated by Jesus in the resurrection appearance by the Lake of Galilee, and Jesus pulls him aside and talks to him about those questions, do you love me, three times, those three denials reversed, and then he says, feed my sheep, and one day you will be taken to a place you do not want to go, and it describes the manner in which Peter would die. Did it stop Paul? Did it stop Peter following Jesus? Not a bit. What would I have done? What would you have done? When we came to know Jesus, if we would have known some of the things that we would go through in our lives... Think of all the tough times that you've been through. If you'd known what was to come, what would you have done? I know that's hypothetical, but we do know. As we look back on our lives, as we look back in the times of difficulty and suffering, that Jesus has been with us in every moment. And he has sustained us and given us the courage that we need. For Paul and Peter, they discovered that Jesus was not just worth living for, but he was worth dying for. What Paul hints at in 1 Corinthians, he details in his second letter, all the sufferings that he went through. And Paul knew that the gospel was opposed. He knew that really well because he opposed it. He was a persecutor of the church and then becomes a champion of Jesus, for Jesus, for the gospel. And he and Peter both knew that they followed the one who suffered for them. Jesus, who walked on this earth, who said the most extraordinary things, the things you'd only expect God to say. He had incredible wisdom and compassion and love, so good, so kind that no one could find a fault in him. Jesus, who did the most extraordinary things, 
the things you would only expect God to do. He healed the sick, the deaf heard, the blinds could see again, the lame walked, the leper was cleansed. He raised the dead. He fed the 5,000, he walked on water, he calmed the storm, he turned water into wine. Jesus who gave dignity and respect to the lowest, the least, the rejected, the outcast, sinners. He called the corrupt religious to account. The one who could forgive sin. The one who promises eternal life. Who else but Jesus? God with us. And how did the world respond to Jesus? How did the powers of the world react? The religious of the day, the authorities, well, they turned on him. They rejected him. They sought to destroy him and not just kill him. His death would have to be an example. Horrific, shameful, humiliating, excruciating. The cross that symbol that we hold so dear, the symbol that I'm standing in front of, that we have on the wall here, that I wear close to my heart, was one of the most cruelest ways that mankind has devised to inflict pain and suffering and death. Yet, as I said right at the beginning, the cross remains the most universally recognised symbol in human history, the symbol of Jesus and his followers. And now it is an emblem of love, the greatest love, of sacrifice, of grace, of forgiveness, of victory. I recently watched a YouTube video of an interview that Nicky Gumbel from Holy Trinity Brompton in London had with Tom Holland. No, not the actor who plays Spider-Man, but a historian, an author. His latest book, Dominion, is a bestseller among many books. And in the interview, Tom Holland describes a visit that he took to a town in Iraq called Sinjar. He was filming a TV documentary. Sinjar was a place where IS had been there just months before, and a town that had witnessed exceptional evil, cruelty, and suffering. Women and children had been killed, sold into slavery. Men had been crucified just as the Romans had done 2,000 years earlier. And this had a profound effect on Tom, a Roman historian. It made him think seriously, more deeply, about the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, it made him go back and rewrite his introduction to his book, Dominion. I encourage you to read it if you can. Because he said this, he had come to understand that ultimately everything that is transformative and revolutionary for good is focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, that instrument of torture, if you were crucified, it was the deliberate humiliation, shaming, stripped naked, exposed, considered the lowest of the low, nailed to a cross, Power was saying, you are nothing, Jesus. This is what happens when you take us on. This is failure writ large. And this is the shocking thing. The one who was crucified is the king of heaven. And through the suffering of Jesus, the broken, the lost, 
can be healed and redeemed. This broken and lost world can be rescued. Tom goes on to say in the interview that the cross of Christ is not just just an event in history, but it is the pivot on which the whole cosmos turns. Through the cross of Jesus, Jesus takes on the powers. He takes on all the darkness and he overcomes it. His goodness overcomes evil. He pays the price for sin. Love wins. Through his suffering, Jesus triumphs. He breaks the power and the curse of sin and redeems this lost, broken, dislocated world. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life received as a gift from him. This is what suffering one and the new creation that begins at the resurrection our inheritance will one day be seen in all its fullness where all pain all suffering will cease no more sickness no more death for the old order of things has passed away and Jesus will say behold I make all things new Paul writes in Philippians these most remarkable, extraordinary words for our modern ears to hear. It has been granted to you as followers of Jesus that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. It's something that Peter was saying in our reading too. For Paul and Peter, who both participated in the suffering of Christ, their suffering was a privilege It taught them sympathy and empathy. It taught them a deep reliance on their saviour. It taught them how to pray. It taught them how to become more like Jesus. And they never gave up. Jesus was worth everything. And they followed him to the end. And the church of Jesus Christ today, we need to keep relearning that lesson. And yes, we may suffer. But it is temporary. It will pass. As we follow the one who was crucified, the one who rose from the dead, the way of the cross is a way of life. And so today, we're going to share communion together, encourage you to be a part of that where you are, as we look to the cross again. And we say once again, we will trust in Jesus We will believe in his name. And as we break bread and share the cup together, we remember his sacrifice for us. The triumph of good over evil, of life over death, forgiveness over sin. And we look forward to a new creation. So today, would you put your trust in Jesus afresh? The one who suffered for us, the one who is the everlasting Lord and Saviour of all who would just turn to him in faith. Amen.